For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dirt Talk, episode 60, with Mr. Jake Schmidtlein. Schmidtlein. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. That's I, it. I don't know why. His name throws me off, and it shouldn't throw me off. I've heard you talk about how you know how to pronounce it, too. So uh, are you involved in the intros now? I think I might be. I think you just accidentally involved <laughs> yourself in an intro. Alex is here, too, to introduce this episode. Howdy. So we have Jake Schmidtlein. And he is not working for somebody else. He's working at BuildWit now. As of when we recorded it, eight days prior, he started at BuildWit. He started as VP of Business Development. And then on day one, he switched to Chief People Officer. He is going to be in charge of all of our people development, onboarding, training within our organization. We could not be more excited to have him. His background, though is rooted in the industry, grew up in a family excavation business, did a, I think it's 14-year foray in other uh, industries like like finance, and then found his way back into the industry working for Murphy Tractor, a John Deere dealership before he came over to us. Can't wait to see what he does at the business. And hopefully you enjoy this interview with Mr. Jake Schmidtlein, Chief People Officer at Buildwood. Well, how do you, so what's the totally perfect proper name to say your last name? Schmidtline. 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 Simple. Simple. But, I, I, but then Simple. I go, is it Schmidtline? But I'm like, well, who the fuck says lean? So it's Schmidtline. Schmidtline. Okay. So today, today we have Jake Schmidtline. Got it. And this is unique because he's, from the dirt world, kind of, you've had some, been exposed to it a little bit. Yeah, it, you, you've you've you you were there. You strayed. You came back to it, and then now you're working for us. That's right. Yes, and you've had approximately how many days of build it so far? This would be day number eight. Day number. So you are pretty deep in at this I'm, point. I have tenure now. Yeah. Well, the the problem is you gave up a very good job, and we'll get into that to Correct. come here. So. Yep. You're pretty deep in at this point. That's right. You've burned the boats. It's all in. Yeah, yeah. 
that's the only way to do it. There's no jumping back. So the um, going to your your original dirt experience mm-hmm. coming from a family business. Yep. So you were around dirt like last night. You were talking about your painting equipment, painting adventures yep. with the family business. So so were did, were you in the business pretty much since day one? Yeah, I mean. My grandpa actually 70 years ago this year started building custom homes. And so as that transitioned into the late 70s, they bought their first piece of equipment to dig basements. Mm-hmm. I would consider it a garden tractor with a loader on it, not really a piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that this took days to dig a basement instead of a couple hours. You can whip it out now. Um, and that that evolved into doing basements for other home builders and then some small projects, water lines, culverts, stuff like that. And really it was the mid eighties that they became full fledged into the excavating business as opposed to doing the home building anymore. So pretty much I think I was driving equipment or at least riding on equipment before I could ride a bike. I mean, it's just what we knew. And that sounds ridiculous, but when you grow up in it, that's pretty much the norm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially back in the eighties when you could ride in the back of a truck and right on a piece of equipment. Um, and, and everybody that's grown up around it, as we talk with our partners, that's just what you do. You mm-hmm. ride in the truck with your dad, you visit the job sites, you know, at a young age, you start, for me, it was running a broom. Like the first piece of equipment I got to operate was a broom in the shop. Yeah. And they, they don't see you just as a child. They see you as free labor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You were put to work and, yeah. and you know, I, I grew up on a ranch in Montana since I was five years old. And on day one, when we were five years old, we were put to work. Like, yeah. it's, that's just what you do. And so it became normal. And then you'd see a kid that wasn't used to it, wasn't used to that whole working world because we we were in a pretty cushy spot back home. They'd right. come up there and they would have to work for the first time in their lives. And they'd be so bent out of shape about it because yeah. they'd never done that before. But to us, it was like, yeah, this is what you it do. Is. I remember for my first dirt bike, it was like 300 bucks. And they had done a big street reclamation and pulled out a bunch of bricks. So dad paid us a penny a brick to go stack them onto pallets. And he said, if you want a dirt bike, there's a brick pile back there. It's a lot of bricks. We stacked a lot of bricks. Mm-hmm. But especially like 4th of July, there's fireworks stand across the street. So in the morning, we go stack a couple thousand bricks, get you 20 bucks, go buy fireworks, rinse and repeat. We would do the same. We would spend all our money on fireworks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then shoot them at each other and, exactly. and get yelled at for it. And then it just repeated the next day. Yeah. And I mean, for us, you talk about it as a normal childhood. Like we had a eighth mile high bank dirt oval go-kart track in the backyard. We had a dirt BMX track. Um, my grandfather actually bought a bunch of ground. And so my dad and his siblings, there's 11 kids, 10 of the 11 are in the excavating business or were originally part of the reason why I'm not in it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also grew up as neighbors. So my dad and his siblings literally live next door. And so you grew up with your cousins riding bikes around the BMX track. I mean, there'd be 10 go-karts on a Sunday afternoon. And to us, that was normal. Like that's just what you did was hang out with your cousins, play football, play basketball, play in the dirt. It's funny how those companies get started too. Cause it's like, well, these homes need basements and we're paying these guys to take the basements. Why don't we just go get a garden tractor and do it ourselves? Yeah. And then uh, it just, it just one, two, six there. You, you end up yeah. as just a big contractor, but you don't really like almost every single time, at least old school, I've never seen these old timers been like, yeah, I'm going to go build a big ass company. It's just like, nope, 
I just, just dug a basement and then some guy yeah. needed another basement. So I dug that one too. And then some guy needed some pipes. So I did that. And then right. one, two, six. Yep. There you go. I, here I am. And I don't know how it happened. Well, now's the thing. They said you really learned how to move dirt efficiently, right? When you're starting with such a small bucket, mm. a small piece of equipment, you had to be very thoughtful of how do you approach digging the basement? Where do you place your dirt for backfill so you're not moving it all over? Because they didn't have the luxuries, you know, like some of these contractors today. With big equipment, you can kind of just drop it wherever you want. And so that they talked about how that really helped them as they got into other projects, knowing how to move dirt. And I think that's something that's not familiar with the industry or somebody that's not familiar with the industry doesn't understand how big of an art there is Mm -hmm. of literally how you move dirt and where you place it and how that creates efficiencies for customer or for the project, you know? And that's one of the first things I try to explain to people. I was just explaining it to Lori and Dan yesterday when we were out on a big Amazon job in Knoxville. It's not just just aimlessly, there's a forklift coming down the road, very distracting. Um, it's not just aimlessly just picking it, picking it up and putting it down. It's You're right. thinking about how far you're moving it. You're thinking about how you're filling. You're thinking about how you're phasing your entire job. You're, hey, they need a batch plan over here. So, okay, this isn't the perfect way of moving dirt right now, but they need it now. So we right. need to just make it happen. Like it's, and, and Dan has said it multiple times over the past days. Like I had no idea how, how big this world was and how complicated it was. Yeah. It's not just moving dirt. No, and it's, I mean, it costs money every time you move dirt. Yes, and so, you're not paid for it multiple no, times. You're like, no. well, I moved it three times, so you owe me three times as much. You're like, no, 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 no. That's not how it no, works. No, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I, 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 that's another thing I try to teach people is like how it's built for. You're only paid to move it once. Right. That's it. Or in the coal mines, you're not even paid to move the dirt. You're paid for the coal. That's right. So it's really important how you move the dirt because- if you do it any less efficiently as, you know, 100%, you're losing money and that's not how you're paid. It's all down to dollars. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So so you grew up running around just doing some dumb kid stuff in a construction business. Yep. Which I am a little jealous of because that would have been a great upbringing. You get to school? Yeah, so <clears throat> along the way, the really the first big project that put Schmidt lines on the map was they built a racetrack and they did all the dirt work for like a 750 acre motorsports facility. And so there was four of us boys or three of us boys. Mom was pregnant. We spent a lot of time riding in equipment <clears throat> that summer. And, uh, that got us into drag racing. So we started drag racing. When we were kids. That's also where I got kind of my marketing and sales background. We went and solicited sponsorships. So originally I went to school to be an engineer. I want to go work on a race team. That was kind of the path. Dad said, go find another job. You know, we'd love to have you in the family business, but there's better things out there. So did that for about two years, engineering, and then decided I really didn't want to move out of town. And there's not a lot of engineering and there's no race teams in Topeka, Kansas. Mm-hmm. So switched finance and ended up going into banking and was in financial services for 14 years. That's a longer than I thought you were. That's quite a while. Yeah. What's, what's this going back to the family company? They're still around. Yep. How big are they? You know, I don't know. I think probably 60, 70 employees. Okay. Um, good size dirt contractor. Pretty good size. Yeah. They're really, one of the things 
one of their values is making sure that the employees are home with their families every night. Mm -hmm. And so they have allowed themselves to operate that way and not chase work outside of a certain area. And so that does have constraints on how much you can grow, how much work you can do in a year, because geographically they want to stay focused. And that's been really important to grandpa all along. It takes discipline to do that too, because it's Mm -hmm. very tempting to go chase work elsewhere. And I see it becomes problematic when the leadership of the business is home every night. They're not really living the on-road lifestyle, but then they're expecting everyone else to travel six, seven days a week. Sure. A lot of times. I mean, sometimes it's seven days a week. You're not, you're not seeing your family. And then people leave, get burnt out and they don't understand why, or they get frustrated about it. It's like, well, yeah, you're, you're burning people out. That's why like the oil field works so well because it's a few weeks of very intense work mm-hmm. and then you get a week or two off. Right. Go back to your family for seven, 14 days, whatever it is, hang out for a while. There you go. It, like, it actually works. It's semi-sustainable. Mm-hmm. People still burn out there, but these companies that never give people time off, expect them to travel everywhere. Yeah, and I think it shows with the tenure of their labor force. You know, I mean, there's a lot of the guys still working there that I remember as a kid, you know, when I was five and it's their employees appreciate their commitment to values and their commitment to family. And so I think you see that, you know, that they know they're not going to be on the road. Um, I've got a really cool picture. One of their operators passed away about a year ago and he drove their 963. That was his machine. Mm. So for his funeral, what he wanted was his casket on the low boy with his machine and so that's, that was the funeral procession. And I think that whole image speaks to me and with Bill Witt. Like this, people take their jobs so seriously. He wasn't just an operator. Like that was his machine, his life. It was so much of who he is that that's how he wanted to be buried. You know, I want one last trip with my loader. So really cool stuff. I was fortunate to work with Terry. Why not join the family business? Oh, that's a great question. If I had a dollar for every time I got asked why I'm not in the family business, I wouldn't have to work at all. Have you been Um, asked on a podcast though? Never on a podcast. Mm, So first time, got it. Um, You know, I think early on, it was really my dad encouraging us to seek out our own thing. Um, And so as I went through like the financial services world, I really wanted to get back into the dirt world somehow. I had brothers that worked for other equipment dealerships and I just didn't see a tangible path to get into the dirt world coming from financial services. And so being away from it for 14 years, again, what's the reentry point? I can't come in as an estimator. I can't come in as a project manager. I don't have that experience. And so to some extent at that point, you know, I had created my own life and had bills and obligations and things like that. Going back as a laborer or an operator or a truck driver really didn't make a lot of sense. So you, 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 your, your, your dad was like, you know, maybe try something else. And so Mm -hmm. you're like, all right, finance. And then you just got so deep into it that you you, you couldn't restart from zero. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, my cousin, same thing. He went, got his construction science degree, but 
they wanted the third generation to go work for somebody else, mm. get some experience, see how other people do it, then come back to it. So a lot of my family that's in the business has worked for other contractors or other, you know, construction companies at some point because it was good for us or it was good for the third generation to see that. I've, I've seen that. I think it's a smart thing to do. There was a family business I worked for and they required, the dad required the kids to work for Kiwit and see how Kiwit did things for a few years before they could come work for the family business yeah. out of school. And I thought that was fascinating and very brilliant because it's like, yeah, go see how this big contractor does it. Go see how they do things so efficiently and then come back to the family business and, and run it. Yeah. But seeing how other people, it's so valuable because contractors, because of how competitive the business is, everyone operates in their own little silo. Right. And no one looks outside of that. And yeah. so to get that experience, get that exposure to another business before you come into the family business, it's pretty slick. I think it helped too to cut your teeth with somebody else. Yeah. You can, I mean, they were super hard on us, right? Like being the owner's son, if you will, like we had higher expectations day one than mm -hmm. they had for any other employee. But it was also nice, I think, if you were going to screw up, go screw up for somebody else and learn your hard lessons that way. Yeah. And that when you come back into the organization, you know, you've got that respect from your peers that you have seen something else. You have been somewhere else. You're not just the owner's kid. And that's the funny thing about construction too, is a lot of other businesses, you come in as the kid, you get special treatment in a positive manner. Right. In construction, you are you have way higher expectations than oh, anyone absolutely. else. Because every business owner is a hard ass. Is that that mentality like, no, no, no. You have way more expectations than anyone else here. And oh, yeah. you can't like, it's never a good job. You can never do anything right. It's just work. That's, yeah, I mean. That's the expectation. You know, we all started the same way. You start in the shop. Here's your broom. That's your first machine you get to operate is a broom. And I'm going to lay out three things for you to do today. And when those get done, look around and find something else to do. Mm -hmm. Don't check in every five minutes. And so by being in that structured environment, the shop, it really was great insight when you get out on a job site to constantly be looking around. What else needs to be done? You know, just the job site we were at this morning, there's various operations going on within one site. And so being able to pick up on that and bounce and be productive is key. And so you started in the shop, you ran your broom. If you were lucky, you got to go straight to a waterline crew. They were doing a lot of waterline installation when I was there. If not, you were a grade checker. And that was like when GPS came out and we had backpacks and rovers, it was amazing. But prior to that, you know, it's stick tape. Um, Grandpa figured out that fishing line sagged less than a traditional string line. Mm. So we actually used fishing reels for grade checking and would wrap it around the stakes <laughs> and it would create a more accurate grade because on a string line, it was heavy and it would sag in the middle. Oh, and shit. so we could use a string line and run a, a wider swath and check grade that way. Huh. The, the, the mentality, I've never seen fishing line before. I've never seen that before. But the mentality of there's always more stuff to do is very mm -hmm. valuable. And yeah. I just saw that play out recently. I saw a, a dozer operator pushing scrapers. But when the scrapers weren't there, he'd be sitting. And mm -hmm. I was thinking, I was like, that's not how you do it. 
I've seen the right. really, really good dozer operators, and they'd be cleaning up the cut. They'd be ripping. They'd be doing all sorts of... They'd never sit still because mm-hmm. there's always something else to be done, even if there's not scrapers to push. It's it's It was just this little illustration that I saw recently. I'm like, that's the difference between a really great operator and just a guy doing his job is the really great ones always looking for what other value can I add to this right. operation? And it's a huge difference. Oh, yeah. And that's... I had a, a stint where I went back and worked for him in my 30s. And, you know, it was just, it was different coming back, having been in the business world. It was super exciting, honestly, <laughs> to get boots on again and, and be down in a trench. But, you know, the same thing, like we were building a hydro excavating truck. And so instead of buying one, they just bought all the pieces. And so we'll go build it. And so we get back, you know, and, so I'm inventorying all the parts, make sure we got them off the packing list. There's no, there's no instruction manual. Like when you buy all the individual components mm-hmm. to, to build this, there's no manual of how to put it together. And so that was some of the stuff that, well, what do you do? Well, you get online, you find the parts manual of how it all assembles at some point, and here we go. And, you know, that was some of the stuff, being in the business world, learning like I learned it originally in the dirt world of what else can you do and how do you handle the situation when there's no manual, right? Because there's not a manual sometimes for laying pipe. You just figure it out. There's there's a set of plans showing what it's supposed to look like when it's done. Correct. It doesn't tell you how to do it. That's right. And so that was really good formation like through my business career early on. Like always looking around. How else can we do this? There's not always a manual. Um and so then to actually build the truck and then get to go use it, it was pretty cool to have that experience later. We're trying to instill that mentality in our business as well. Like I was getting worked up about there was something not working with the video hard drive the other day. And they kept saying, well, you just can't do it. I'm like, no, you can do it. You just need to figure it out. Like, right. Stop saying it can't be done. It can be done. I don't know how, but that's your job. You go figure right. it out. And then they figured it out. They go went and bought the problem was it was a Mac problem, so they went and bought a they bought a Windows computer. We don't use Windows, but they right. bought it to solve the problem. I'm like, that's what we're looking for. There you go. That is the initiative. Like that that is exactly the solution there. And we didn't have to tell them to do that. They eventually figured it out. I'm like, all right, we're we're headed in the right direction if people are figuring stuff out like that. Yeah, and I think you have to have the space right to learn it as a kid. That you know we were left alone in the shopyard. There was nobody there watching. Mm-hmm you were forced to figure it out because, you know, they had that sixth sense. They come around for lunch. What have you been doing all morning? So well, you learn quickly. And what's really scary is if you screw something up and you make a big boo-boo, no one's around and you're like, oh no, I need to fix this before someone comes around right. and I need to figure this out fast. And that's, those were the scariest moments, but that's when you become the most innovative, at least for me. It was when I really, really screwed something up and I was like, oh shit, I need to make this better before someone finds out. And you, you run to the hardware store, you get whatever you need to get, you get the tools, you try to fix it. And you're like, oh, thank God I did it. Then they come around like, so how's everything been going? Like, everything's been great. Yeah. No no problems here. And you're like, you just wipe your brow like, whew, yeah, that was a close one. No, absolutely. Yeah. So finance, for 14 years, yep. Um, there's you learn some stuff, but finance is 
a little dry at times, I'm sure. Yes, it was. Yeah. So you, you go, f- is, is finance to racetrack? No. So I went to, I did business development for a beer distributor. That's right. Which was really cool to understand the like franchise and brewery relationship with the distributor um, paired very nicely when I worked, worked for an equipment dealership, kind of similar models. And that was really what sparked my interest in, you could call it marketing, but really consumer behavior. There was so much thought put in by Anheuser-Busch of where to place signage, how to position beer in the cooler, how to lay it all out to drive incremental sales. Mm -hmm. And I got to see Gary Vaynerchuk live in person. Mm. And that just lit a fire in me of how do we, how do I use that for business development or sales development by understanding people and how they operate, what their behaviors are. So that's really when I started doing the marketing stuff um, or having a passion for marketing. Went and worked for a structural steel company after that, doing business development and then overseeing several of his other businesses. And so I wound up as a GM of his motorcycle shop, which was really cool to work in a motorcycle shop every day. Having been in the corporate world, like wearing suit and ties to rolling in Chuck Taylors and shorts was, it was awesome. Through that, I got to know the owner of the racetrack. And so when he approached me to be the GM of the the racetrack, I was like, no way. I've seen it, been there. It is seven days a week, 300 days out of the year. And I had two young kids. I'm like, no, that's not going to work. But he was pretty persistent. And so having been at that facility when it was being built, right, flashback as a kid, riding on equipment, it was really emotional my first day as the GM of this motorsports facility Mm. that I was at as a kid watching it get built. Mm. So really came kind of full circle life there. Um, It was fun, but it was seven days a week nine months out of the year. And so my wife and kids were troopers. They had the racetrack bags. They'd come out with me on the weekend. I mean, I remember Mother's Day, my wife was out there helping me water the new sod that we put down before the NHRA national event. So they were all in with me, which is great. Uh, I got to know the people at Murphy Tractor through the racetrack. They were one of our sponsors Mm. and kind of built a relationship with them. And that's actually how I ended up the long path to get into the dirt world took me from insurance to beer to steel, motorcycles, racetrack, dirt. I mean, it's everybody's path, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, you really went full circle there. Yeah. It was the most random way to get into it um, that I could ever think of. But I just kept having this, this draw to get to it. So like, and now looking back, it was so invaluable to see all of these different industries, you know, like the racetrack's really the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And so consumer behavior was super important because the competition to a racetrack is little league sports, it's concerts, it's movies. Like it's how people spend their discretionary income. So it makes you really think about it because on the outside, as a spectator, you would think the competition is another racetrack, but that's really not it at all. So it formed some really good insight in seeing the different businesses, I think kept me from getting in a rut of seeing everything just one way. 
like being in financial services for 14 years, you start to get blinders. Anytime you're in an industry for so long, you kind of get blinders. So yeah, on a resume, it may look spotty, but really the, I mean, it was great learning having bounced through some different industries. Well, and you're, uh, are you going to go? Okay, cool. We can stop whenever you go. So we can make it nice and quiet. You'll edit it out so people people won't even know. Maybe people, <laughs> I'm talking to Alex right now about he has to leave. And once you leave, shit's going to probably hit the fan. My dream. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a lot of editing to be done after you leave. Um, with, with, with experience too, there's liability associated with experience. Sure. And I was blind to that until I really studied the concept of if you keep doing something and keeps working, you get fooled and fooled and fooled into thinking that's going to continue to work. Mm-hmm. But things change. Nothing's in a vacuum. But you keep referencing, well, this is how I know how to do it, so I'm going to do it again. Right. And it starts to get you in trouble because then someone comes in and says, okay, so that's how this guy does it. And if I want to go beat him, I know what what hand he's going to play. So I just need to do something totally different because he's not prepared for it. He's not even looking at this. And then, yep. then that's when you get in trouble. Um, or you just you just die slowly because there's no innovation there. There's right. no thinking how I do this better. It's just yeah, this is the way we do it. Great. And there's a lot of that in this industry right now. Sure. They you talked about it a couple of weeks ago with the beefy blade hand. Like you can use a hammer. To build a house still, mm-hmm. pneumatic air gun, a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I think of that when we talk about the industry, the equipment has changed dramatically in the last 30 years in some aspects. But in others, I mean, an excavator still does what an excavator does. It may be faster. It may have GPS. It may have, you know, 3D modeling. And, and everybody's adapted to that and they're upgrading their fleet or they're changing out their equipment because they see the increased productivity or efficiency, whatever, whatever it is, um, ease of operation. But I question how, how many of these companies have updated their hiring practices, their people development practices, their management practices, because the people coming into the industry aren't the same as they were 30 years ago. Oh, I can answer that one for you. I know what the Spoiler alert, is. they I know, haven't. I know. Yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, they say, oh, I can't find any people. I there's nobody to hire. Well, I mean, you've upgraded your fleet. You've, you've adopted new ways of doing business because of technology, because of this. You have to upgrade your people. You have to upgrade your hiring practices. You have to upgrade your performance management. Like that's, that's just the call to nature, right? Of like, that's just the world we're in. And that's what's, right. it's so shocking to me because I am a complete ape. Like I'm not very, I'm not very smart and I see it and it's just, it's like slapping me in the face. Like how isn't, how isn't anyone else seeing this? It's right. so, so apparent and yeah. yet no one's looking at it. I'm like, what are you guys doing? I just want to grab everyone by their lapels and just shake them. Not that anyone has a lapel in the construction industry, right. <laughs> grab them by their high visibility vests and shake the hell out of them. Be like, yeah. Hey, 
okay, great, you have GPS, but look at your people, damn it, because this is this is where the battle is going to be won, is in your people, not what kind of fleet you have, not what kind of technology you have. All that's a commodity. Like, wow, you have GPS? Good for you. So does everyone else. Like, right. Okay. No, that's, and that's the thing. If I mean, I think for some of these guys, if they were sitting around a table, why don't we bid this job the same way we did 30 years ago? They're going to get laughed out of the room. But yet when they come to... How are we going to hire new people? Well, 30 years ago, we ran a newspaper ad. Mm-hmm. Well, we could try that again. Yeah. Or maybe let's put a sticker on the back of our trucks saying Since we're hiring. hiring. Yeah. Yeah. That is innovation right there. And I'm being sarcastic for my amazing number of people following along that don't understand sarcasm. I need to clarify that one quite a bit. Oh, okay. So, and this is a good lead in to where we found you. We found you at Murphy Tractor. Yep. You were doing your VP of marketing. Is that correct? correct? Director of marketing. Director. Same thing. I've, that's one of the things I've learned in business is titles are really arbitrary. They're kind of made up. Like, I don't know what a difference between a vice president and director is. There's probably, there's probably a definition, but, um, but like to me, it's like, uh, okay, all right, you're, yeah, you're a boss. Like you're, you're, you're the boss man. So you're the boss man of marketing storytelling, you know, mm-hmm. working on business development, really business development, selling machines, yep. servicing machines, selling parts. That was your focus. Correct. How long were you there for? You weren't there too long. I was with the company for almost three years total. I was a branch manager, ran one of the locations for about a year. Mm. I got my feet wet with the company and then transitioned in the marketing director role. And I was in that role for about a year and a half. And that's where we found you mm-hmm. a few months ago. Yeah, we so, met you in January, and it's March. Yeah, so it was November when you started talking to Dan. I started talking to Dan because we were looking to hire Buildwit because we were looking for an agency that helped us tell our story of why you should do business with Murphy Tractor. Mm-hmm. Like John Deere was a great partner, and they provided really valuable information on how the equipment worked, what were the features and benefits of the equipment. But as a dealer, we needed to answer the question. Why would I buy from you? And there's some great agencies out there, right? That are good at creating graphic pieces, good at search optimization. You know, there's some agencies that are really good with tactical, setting up your search campaigns, keywords, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But finding an agency that really understands the dirt world was just non-existent. Of course, I've been following you and BuildWit for about two years so my boss was asked me to reach out to BuildWit. And I said, nah, I don't know. They kind of seem like they're a cat house. I don't know they'd have any interest in a deer dealer. Which isn't false. I have thoughts on that. I'll wait. So anyhow, I reached out to Dan and couldn't find a phone number. So I fill out the submission form. And my comment, I put, you know, I'm looking for an agency that can help tell our story from a dirty boots perspective. And Dan's like, man, that really caught my attention because... That's what BuildWit does. And so we talked um, about how they would fit in with Murphy Tractor. And then he connected you and I and said, you guys should talk. And so, yeah, we met up in January and it kind of seemed like a no-brainer. I mean, I was really content, great company, almost 40 years, third largest John Deere dealer network in North America. Um, but I just, there's this passion, right, for people and development. And so 
to be able to join build wit and help tell stories. Like that's, that's what the industry needs. Like there needs to be better understanding of who these people are. And it's just such an amazing industry. So when the opportunity came up, it was still is a little surreal, honestly, to be sitting here doing this, being on a podcast that I'd listened to for a year mm-hmm. or more. Yeah. You're um, one of the five. One of the five. Yeah. Maybe number six. Yes. My wife listens now. So we're up to six. Alex was saying his wife listens now too. And that's, that's our target demographic. People's wives for there sure. You go. Yeah. That's, that's exactly, the market I'm really going after here. That's yeah. what we're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, this is to illustrate how bad Dan and I are at sales because instead of taking your guys' money, we, we hired you. Right. Um, so we're just, we're just not very good at our jobs, but we didn't, when, when we started talking, the intention, your, the intention was for you, you to hire us and our intention was for us to feel you guys out yep. and see, okay, are they a good partner? And is yeah. this a good relationship we want to get into? Uh, and then I don't, you just, you just started talking with Dan more. I just started talking with you and we we're like, Hey, well, maybe there's something else here. You know, it, it definitely wasn't like poaching, right? Because no, no, it wasn't. I, I don't, was, I don't like to do that. No, no, no. Yeah. I was going through the process of starting my own agency was the thought I'd been kicking around in November and December because I was so frustrated that I couldn't find an agency that understood the dirt world. And I knew my counterparts with some of the other dealers had the same issues. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, there's a problem. Everybody's looking for that agency that, that gets it. I have familiarity with both. I kind of understand the dirt world a little bit. I kind of understand marketing a little bit. Why don't I just start an agency? And Honestly, I, I talked to a few people, wrote a business plan, and it was, I had sent out a couple of notes to some agencies of just seeing if they'd be interested in, in a buyout or something. And they're like, well, what are you trying to build? And the irony is I sent them your website. <clears throat> hmm. You know, I sent them Build Wit. I'm like, this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the company that actually gets it. And uh, so, yeah, as we started talking, my wife was like, why don't you just go work for them? Instead of, and I think that was your and I discussion. He's like, why don't you just come work here instead of starting a note all over? And yeah, it was no brainer. I don't want to be tied up like with what you do, dealing with lawyers and accountants and insurance companies. I, I want to be around people and I want to be around our partners. So yeah, yeah, but, it's uh, we're we're now at the size where we can we can kind of point to it and be like, well, you can go do it on your own. I did it, so fuck right. Any, anyone can do it. It's not all that hard, but. You can do you can do all that, but you don't really want to worry about all the all the stuff. And and I'm I'm good at dealing with the stuff. Like that's that's right. my place in this whole picture. It's not really the creative or anything. It's like the lawyers, the dollars, the insurance, the four hundred one k program right now, the hiring practices. Mm-hmm. Make sure everything's buttoned up. Oh, I, I like all that stuff. Right. It's it's that's my pitch to people like you. Now it's like all right, you're really smart. You're really good at what you do. You could go do this on your own, but it. It's just a lot and a lot of risk. And what if we remove all of that stuff you don't want to do, all of that risk, but you still get uh, potential to share in the spoils of what we're doing. Yep. You still get the freedom of operating how you see fit that you would have other uh, working for yourself. And then you already have 
all the tools, like a lot of the tools, you don't have all of them yet. That's why we're hiring so much right now, but you, you have all the stuff at your disposal already. Like it's like, just why don't you just do this? I, it's because yeah. it's better for both parties here. No, and it, it made perfect sense. And, and it's able to scale faster, mm-hmm. you know, for what I wanted to achieve for my, my goals. Um, being a part of this team allows it to scale a lot faster because starting out on your own, you're going to be regional, local, whatever. And how do you get to the broader audience if you really want to make a difference? Mm-hmm. If you really want to make an impact, you know, you can start local but the timeline is much longer. Yep. So this just scaled overnight. It worked nicely. And and so we looked at you, we were like, well, we need this business development role for our partners, not right. for us. Like we don't, Dan and I were terrified at putting any kind of real money and dollars into business development for us because we're, we, we, we can't handle what we have in front of us right now. And we need to be careful about that because I don't want to be pissing people off, but fine line. But the, our partners really need help with business development. Mm-hmm. So we brought you in. We're like, all right, you're going to be, what was it? VP of business development. You're going to be VP of business development. Excellent. Um, what was it? Day one came around and we were like, well, Dan started talking to you the weekend before you even started. Day one Eve. Day one Eve. Day one Eve. I get a text. Yeah. So day zero. Day zero. Hey, we have this idea. What if we need somebody to do onboarding and training and development. And I, I believe you said, you know, you guys were talking with Matt Biddle, the recruiter, mm-hmm. of who do we want? Like, who do we want in this role to kind of lead our people and lead the BuildWit team? And so Dan shot me a text like, hey, we were going over all this and we realized we kind of described you. What do you think? And of course, I was actually back at home at, at my parents' house when it came through and I was like, well, this kind of aligns with how BuildWit operates, right? Like day zero, let's pivot. And so, yeah, I shortest I've ever been in a role, VP of business development, like a week and a half. That's how we do it. I told Love you, it. welcome to BuildWit. Because it's, um, yeah, this was a really, when, when we had, when things changed for us beginning of this year and, and we had a little bit more opportunity, I looked at, all right, what are the really key roles that I want to fill for the business that don't necessarily go pay for themselves right away, right? But are big picture and that certainly do pay for themselves long term. And this was one of those positions. And in going back to where where we were talking about the industry not developing people, mm-hmm. we need to practice what we preach. So we need to be a very good example of developing people before we go to our partners and say, "Hey, you guys need to develop people." And also, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. Now we can point to ourselves as an example. People are so much more willing to listen if you're doing it already than if it's just theory. So, and in, in, in like one of our values, you, you're getting into our values is develop 3x people. Mm-hmm. So we think everybody within our organization can be three times an average person to do that. It doesn't just happen. You don't find those 3x people. You need to uh, develop them. You need to train them. You need to onboard them effectively. You need to be having regular conversations, giving them feedback. It's an entire role owning that development piece of our business for our people. And so that's what we thought you could do. Yeah, absolutely. And then we just made up the title of chief people officer. It, you know, we talked earlier about titles. They are made up. Sorry to, sorry to pull back the curtain on that one and let everyone know, but, but it, it it's a really important role. And, and you married with 
um, Matt Biddle because Matt Biddle talent acquisition. But mm-hmm. even if he finds a really high performer, them coming into our business, they're 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 really not much more than a one x person is the way I see it because they right. don't know how we operate, they don't understand our partners, they don't understand our values, our mission. They don't understand who's who on the team. Sure. So, so even if they're a really high performer, they're not all that productive day one. And so how do we, and, and, but they could be 3X. So how do we take that from one to three and make that period of time as short sure. as possible? Yeah, and that's, you know, I kind of started building onboarding programs. Actually, my first one, I was a part-time teller at the bank. And, you know, you couldn't do homework. You couldn't read books at the teller window. And so I was like, man, I, I need to practice like looking up accounts. Look, how do I make a deposit? How do I cash a check? Like, so I started practicing and writing it down. And that was my first like onboarding was I created this document. And the next time we hired a teller, we kind of went through it, went a little better than nothing. And then we refined it. And that was actually the foundation for the training department that the bank created. And so you know, I go to the insurance company, same thing. That was an interesting experience because I was applying for a marketing specialist and I get there day one. They're like, here's your headset. You can go phone split. Mm. And I'm like, I just got hired to work in a call center. Like, how did I not know that? See, we weren't that bad. We no. didn't hand you a headset on day one. You did not. Yeah. So no onboarding, no training there. You literally hooked up your headset to theirs and you listen to phone calls and you're supposed to watch them navigate through the screens. So built an onboarding program for them. It ended up being a three-week program just to get them to where they were semi-capable of being on their own, right? And, and really we learned like the first four months, the person was a negative impact to our performance as a team. So when you're you know, your call center metrics, hold time, you know, average call handle time, that kind of stuff. A new person was negative for at least four months. Mm -hmm. Four to six, four to nine months was kind of a neutral effect. Like they didn't help you. Your metrics didn't improve, but they weren't hurting you anymore. And it was really the 12 month mark. So like if you wanted to decrease your hold time, like you had to think about it a year in advance because that's how long it took to get somebody up to speed to actually make a positive impact. And we're not we're not a call center, but I've noticed that it is six to twelve months yeah. for them to really okay. They get it. Some a flip a, a switch a, just flipped. Absolutely, they get it now, and they are just black and white different than they yeah. were before. And then the the funny thing is too, the more experienced they are, the longer it takes because yeah. now we have to break old habits. Now we have to right. go against what they've what they know. Now we have to battle ego a little bit. And mm-hmm. no, I I know how to do this well. You do know how to do it that way, but we do it this, this way. way. So I need you to be humble enough to say, all right, hey, maybe there's a better way to do things here. And not saying that our way is right, but this is how we do it. Right. And so the more experienced they are, the longer it takes. But then once they get there, it's just a breath of fresh air for both parties. Because yeah. now they're more, now people don't want to be shitty at their job. No. So they want to feel capable, competent. They want to feel like they're contributing something. So now the person's happier. Now the business is happier. Now the customers are happier. Everyone wins. It's right. a win-win-win across the board. Yeah. I want to write a book someday. Title's going to be Nobody Wants to Suck. A Manager's Guide to Performance Leadership. Because yeah. nobody wants to fail. It's human nature. No. Right. 
And so, you know, in my long tenure with BuildWit, all eight days, you know, that's one of the things we've talked about is there's a lot of different pieces. You might've been a rock star at a, at a marketing agency, but we were just on a job site this morning talking about how stuff gets from your toilet to the treatment facility. And the people from the agency are like, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. There's so much to this. Mm-hmm. And so there's that side of it that it's not that you're not a rock star, at what you do, but let us help you understand what our partners do and put it together of why it's important and vice versa. You may have been a badass operator, but let me tell you a little bit about marketing and, and creative design and, and how that plays into it. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, I think where we will find some strengths in our onboarding is bringing those to light of, okay, you know, marketing, let me teach you about dirt. Did you know it comes in different colors, shapes, sizes, densities? It can wear out. It can get old. Mm-hmm. I don't think most people don't know that. Like there's such thing as old dirt and you got to haul it off and bring in new dirt. But I mean, it's it, expensive. It is. Yeah. It's very expensive. And um, it, it takes, you have to eat a nice big slice of humble pie mm-hmm. to be willing to relearn some stuff and learn a whole new world. And especially the people I've noticed, it's so funny that people that were the highest performers where they were before we struggle the most because they Mm -hmm. are used to absolutely kicking ass and now they're bad at it and they don't like being bad. Right. And so it makes them very uncomfortable and they get frustrated because they're so used to performing at such a high level, but now they're totally uncomfortable in a totally new position and it frustrates the hell out of them. Yep. So how do we alleviate that pain a little bit? And then, you know, instead of it taking six months for someone to grasp it, it, because I need someone in that seat, what if I delay, hire them a month earlier, spend a month really training them, and then on day one of their job, they're actually in a position to deliver value from the very beginning. So I have to slow down and pay them an entire month and get nothing out of it. But then they're much faster on day one rather than struggling for six months but I'm no, I'm filling that seat. They're doing something. That's I feel right. good as an employer, but they're not actually producing yep. anything. No, absolutely. And that's what most companies do. Well, sure. And that's what we're doing right now. And frankly. I think, well, and that's just, hey, hey, uh, go figure it out. I not, mean, not the best. I don't know what industry that I've been around that margins are just fat. You know, margins are tight. And so I think it is. The typical response is you you hire that employee three months after you really needed them. We do right? that for sure. Yeah, Like we needed them three months ago, mm-hmm. but there's constraints, perceived constraints, maybe, maybe not real constraints that keep you from bringing them on. And so then it's like you said, you got to throw them in a seat. And if you can just check grade, like for a partner, like just go check grade here and spray paint the cut. Like I'll get to the rest of it later you know, you're creating disengagement. Yeah. And, you know, that's at the end of the day, at the end of your first day, what do you want your employees to say when somebody asks them, so how was your day? I think a lot of people will go, eh, it was pretty good. You know, computer wasn't ready. Um, There's just kind of some awkward moments. I didn't know what to do. Like that's a typical response, I think, for most people. We had someone start on Monday that we thought was starting next Monday. Right. Sorry, Benjamin. Sorry, Benjamin. Sorry. Yeah. 
Benjamin Holgren. Sorry, man. Uh, we're, we're very happy to have you. It, <laughs> it, 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 and he he gets it. So right. so you know he I'm I'm not worried about him being bent out of shape. Out like he he sees the big picture. Um, but that's I don't want I don't want that to happen anymore. Right. And and but a lot of businesses will counter with, well, I can't afford to go hire someone to to develop people. But then they say people are our biggest differentiator. Mm-hmm. You need to build that investment into your business from the beginning, or figure out how to accommodate that investment. Well, I think that most of these places are paying it. They just don't realize it. That's a very, very good point. Because they're paying more. They're paying more for it right now. You know, you're paying it in turnover. You're paying it in unemployment wages. You're paying Mm -hmm. it in potentially recruiting fees. Mm -hmm. Inefficiencies, just in general. And inefficiencies is the biggest area where I think they pay for it. And you can't see it, though. This person is overworked, getting checked out, and you're getting less and less return on their hours and on your investment in them every day. So yeah, you don't see it necessarily up front, but I guarantee you most of these companies are spending the money. I yeah, that's a great point that I didn't even thought about. Because a lot of I mean, construction is notoriously bad for turnover. Mm-hmm. And we don't have much turnover. We've lost four people mm-hmm. in three years. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean. Even when you forget them on their first day. Yes. Or change their role the second day. Yes. But we're still here. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I, it's, it's, we're far from perfect, but we're doing our best. And that's why like, and I've acknowledged my own limitations. I can't be that guy that's welcoming everyone on day one. Sure. I can't be the one training people. I want to be a part of it. Right. But I need someone to own that part of our business and mm-hmm. really focus on it. And I think there's a lot of businesses, their intentions are pure. Like they really do want to take care of their people. Yes. That, But they just get so, either the message gets overrun when they start talking financials or other things that the employees don't hear the message. They're saying it, but it's it's getting filtered out with all of the other messages being delivered or it's just, they just don't know how to do it. And I think that's part of it. It's like, you know, I was talking with my dad and so three of my brothers work for a construction equipment dealership. Um, You know, I'm doing this and dad's like, man, I've never even filled out a job application. You know, he's never thought of doing anything else. How do you do it? And you know, of course we're all like, Oh, it's really easy. You know, we, we do it all the time. And I think that goes to when we talk about people development or we talk about onboarding, I think some of it is they just don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Like they want to do it, but I don't know how. And that's, and that's where the appeal of BuildWit came to me. Like we can help them. We have these resources that, that we're putting together at BuildWit to help our partners with this. Yeah. How do you tell a story? Your, special, your specialty is moving dirt. Not storytelling. Let us do that, right? That's what we're trying to do. But we're and we're unique too from a construction company. So, a construction company spends money on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. They spend money on on people, but right. that's not a major percentage. Their major Correct. percentage is equipment and materials. And oh then yeah, other overhead costs. But really, it's equipment and materials is the big the killer, it, sure. and that's a lot of everybody's revenue month or yearly. For us. Over half of our expenses 
I mean, well over half of our total monthly expenses is just people. Mm-hmm. That's it. Everything else is travel and 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 some you know office now and, and there's overhead. So there's sure. a lot of overhead, travel, um, equipment, that kind of thing. But really, it's all just people. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so easy for me to make such a significant investment from a recruiting and a retaining and a training perspective is because if that's all I have, I need to make sure that's really buttoned up. Oh, absolutely. That's me investing in my plant and equipment and and innovating and everything like that. Well, it's no different than our partners and the investment they put in their mechanics and uptime on equipment and maintenance Mm -hmm. and repair and safety. They, they have to capitalize on that investment because it's so large for them And, and right. Ours is people. And so how do we invest in the people? That's what we're doing. That's why I'm here. I think. Might change tomorrow. Stay tuned. Very real. <laughs> but, but it changes for everybody though. Sure. And, and even, you know, Dan and I, our roles change weekly, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I'm undergoing a pretty scary change of um, you know, I've been doing content photo for three years. And now I am getting out of that. I'm mm-hmm. still going to be traveling, still being in the field, doing something a little bit different, but I'm having to totally remove myself from how I started the business. Right. Which is very scary. Sure. And and Dan, he's had, he's worn every damn hat possible over the past three years. He's he's just, he's done anything that needs to be done. And mm-hmm. that's just our mentalities. We're just here to, do whatever needs to happen. You know, there was a problem a few weeks ago. He's like, we're both like, hey, we're, we're here to alleviate the pressure. Mm-hmm. So just let us know what we need to do. We're going to make it happen. So it starts from the top. Like our roles are changing so fast because we're learning so quickly mm-hmm. and everyone else's roles are changing so fast too. And everyone needs to wear multiple hats. And then some people, they just don't like that and mm-hmm. it causes problems. And I wish it could be a little bit more even, but at the same time, it's just not how we do things. No. That's okay. And, and it's just, I mean, it's how business works. It's how small business especially works. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to my dad the other day. He's driving a piece of equipment. It's what he had to do. You know, growing up as a kid, when's dad going to be home? I don't know. When mm-hmm. the job gets done. Yeah. I mean, that's just what you do. We're trying to make it happen. It's going to be Epic. Epic. I think. And hopefully. It'll be fun, at yeah. least. I'm not playing to win by one. I'm playing to win by a lot. Like Andy Fasella says, 100 to zero. Right. Just obliterate everything in our path. No, and I, I mean, I see from the outside just such good things. Obviously, that's why I'm part of the company now and was willing to take the risk to come over here. I believe in the vision, and I think it's easy having talked to a couple of the partners, right? I interviewed a couple of the partners before I even came on. And the vision is real. I mean, that's what you say is what you get. That's that's where it's at. We're going to make the dirt world a better place. Mm-hmm. And I'm super excited to be a part of it. Well, and that's how we're attracting such great people right now, mm-hmm. too, is, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. We're, we're hiring some higher level people now. And so the companies they're at don't really want them to leave all mm-hmm. this. Like we, we hired a guy recently and they, the other company countered real, real, real heavy. And he still said, no, it's just not my thing. I'm going to come over here. And so you can, you know, we try to satisfy that financial requirement, but that really isn't 
it. It's the, I want people bought in on the vision. And if that company would have countered and he would have said, yeah, no, I, I will stay around. Then he wasn't a good fit here because he right. wasn't bought in that vision. And I've done the best I can selling this vision and explaining what we're, what we're here to offer. And if they don't buy in on that, okay, that's fine. Like, great. Mm -hmm. That was, we, we had a guy, we, we hired him on and he, he said, no, I can't do it before day one, the night before. And I, I looked at him like, Oh, thank God, because right. he was clearly not bought in. We can't afford to have people that aren't bought in. If he doesn't see it, that's fine. Like he doesn't need to see it. I'm not pissed off about it. I'm just relieved that he didn't come to the business. And three months later, like shit, all right, I'm out of here. Yeah. So that's the big thing for me is, and that's how we're attracting these great people now, like yourself is we have, we stand for something greater mm -hmm. than just money and ourselves. We're practicing what we preach mm -hmm. and we're offering something pretty exciting to to be a part of. It's a lot greater than just paying people well. Well, and that was the discussion, you know, my wife and I had before I accepted and before we had got even got to the numbers. She said, what are you going to do if they come back at the same pay or less pay? I said, I want to go work for them. Like, because it's, I mean, money is a necessity. We all have things to take care of. We all want to make more, but... It's more than that. And, you know, it was, it was just, that was the thing for me. It was much more than just the dollars and cents. So you're saying we could give you a pay cut? No, I'm mm. saying that. <laughs> I should have negotiated you harder. You should have huh? negotiated harder. Yeah, damn it. I didn't negotiate with the job change, though. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and, and we're like, <laughs> right? no. dollars still are important. So I'm a Absolutely. big believer in what do you need for your family? What do you think you're worth? Right. I'll give it to you every sure. single time, but you better be worth it. And, but yeah, the, 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 the companies, they just look at dollars as the reason why people come and stay. That's not it. You have to mm -hmm. satisfy that requirement, but give people a lot more. Sure. And now that we've actually, we have three years down and we've shown people like, okay, these guys are actually like, and they're they're kind of actually doing it, and there's a little bit of data here to say, yeah, okay. And now that's attracting people like you that are like, all right, this is this is risky, but also there's enough data though where I feel pretty good about it at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Any uh, parting words for our audience at Dirt Talk? Nothing of wisdom. Nothing of wisdom. Nothing of wisdom. No, it's been awesome to be here in Nashville. See the future. HQ. Mm -hmm. That was cool to go see that. Mm -hmm. um, That's where we're going. And right when we're done with we're this, done this. Mm -hmm. get in and see a job site. I think for me, what was exciting having a couple of the other newbies that started when I started old timers, eight days, um, just to see their excitement, right? They came from the agency world on the job site today was really cool. Like, well, like you were saying with, um, you know, going from financial services where you have to be dressed up and put on this persona and then you come to the dirt world and it's none of that. It's, yeah. it's, it's refreshing. And I've noticed that even with like how I deal with our accountants and lawyers and just how I talk to them, mm -hmm. you can tell they're more excited to work with us because they don't have to be that I'm a lawyer, right. you know, self, like they realize right. like, okay, these guys are, yeah, these, they're, they're, they're more human. They're okay. If we, we make me make mistakes, you know, they're, they're not perfect. I'm not mm -hmm. like, there's uh there's a like a I've just I've really noticed it with like very buttoned up people is yeah. they're a little uncomfortable dealing with us at first because they don't know what to do with us and then <laughs> right. like okay all right these guys are just doing their thing this is actually kind of cool I want to yeah. be a part of it too 
Yeah. And that's, you know, I was saying as we were driving on the job site, I'm like, man, I feel at home. Mm. Like just as yeah. a kid riding in the truck with dad. So awesome to be here. I get to blend my loves. I love people development. I've been all about that for a long time. So to get to do that and be around the dirt world, super excited. We're happy to have you. Well, I think that's what we got. Awesome. Let's call it good. Not bad for a first podcast. Well, okay. I've done a couple. Yeah. I I was the other side of the table though for Murphy. First dirt talk episode. First dirt talk. Probably not the last. Probably not. Hopefully not. 10 years. Hopefully 10 year not. look back. Yeah. 10 year look back. I did a, um, so I did a podcast with Turner Mining Group January of 2019. And I listened to it the other day. Maybe it was, I don't know. I don't know when that, I may, maybe, no, maybe it was January of last year. It was like, well, I listened to it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was January of 2020. So, or, or December of 20, I don't, I don't know. But I listened back to it. It was like a year ago and, and Keaton and I were like, yeah, let's, you know, we should have one down the road a few years down the road and see where the hell we're at. And I was thinking just, it's just so funny to have like a year ago captured in time and then mm-hmm. be able to look at it over here, like compare the two on paper and be like, whoa, wow, that is really different. Or Con Expo was this yeah. week last year. Right. So the whole week I've been like, wow, that was a year ago and life is so different now. Yes. That's what we were talking last night. Who would have thought that Con Expo in Vegas was the most recent normalcy, I'll use air quotes around that, that we've experienced in a year. Yes. And even, yeah. And so that's so, not, and I guess, speaking of somebody that's never, if you've never been to Con Expo, you probably don't understand that, that that's anything but a normal event. Yes. I mean, it's huge, huge. And if you haven't been to Con Expo, you should go. You need to go. It's every three years. 2023. 2023. Let's pray there's not some other fucking pandemic right. that, that, that gives everyone the pickle there. Uh, but highly recommend it. Yeah. Wear good shoes. Maybe start walking a couple months before. It's a lot of walking. It's a lot of walking. Yeah. Uh, but, but even COVID aside, just looking at our business sure. and how we operate right now, how we think, what our partners look like, how many people we have, just, just the level at which we're operating. I wasn't living in Nashville at the time. You mm-hmm. know, just that change alone. I didn't, it, it, the office wasn't, it wasn't, a, none of that was, was at all a possibility. And now it's like, wow, this is really something. We did have Dirt Talk though. You did. Dirt Talk was around. Dirt Talk was, it was still in its infancy, but it was around. That Con Expo, the next Con Expo, Dirt Talk Live. That'll be awesome. That'll be really cool. I'm just making that up right now, but I think we can probably do it. Alex, sorry. Yeah, Alex, there you go. You're going to build a sound booth that's portable. Make it happen. Alex can do it. We have a, I think we have a call with Con Expo today or tomorrow, actually. We're trying to do some cool stuff next That'll be awesome. Yeah. No, that'd be real good. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks for letting me grace dirt talk with my presence or something like that. Happy to have you. Awesome. I was just out of guess, frankly. That's what I expected. I figured that. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I going to line up? Oh, shit. I don't have anybody. Yeah. Jake's here. Jake's Jake's here. Great. All right. That'll work. Yeah. 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 We can, I mean, he was was in dirt and we can, we can probably come up with an hour of, we, we filled it in. It's an hour of stuff. I don't know if it's worth listening to. 
Well, that's what I tell everyone about it. Everyone episode, every episode. That's kind of what I thought about. Every Not episode. to install our guests, really to insult no. <laughs> me. It's it's really a, a, a self-deprecating uh, no. joke. It's good. Good Great. stuff. All right. Awesome. That's it. Thank you. Okay, everyone. And that is another Dirt Talk episode all done. We might be mixing up the end of the episodes, maybe some giveaways or something like that. I don't know yet. But until then, all I have for you is just please keep sharing the podcast. Um, Alex and I, we were joking before this one started. We're, we're taking on Big Dirt here. And Big Dirt wants to push us around and tell us what to say and, and who to advertise. And we are saying absolutely not. We are standing up and saying, no, Big Dirt, you keep your ad dollars because we can't be bought. And with that, it's, um, it, 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 it creates some limitations. We got to make this thing happen on our own. And to do that, we need your help. So please continue sharing the podcast with as many people as possible. Like we, like we said in this episode and joked, maybe it's even your wife. Let's go after your wife and, and get her on board because she's definitely the, 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 the main demographic we're chasing to. But maybe Dirt World people, if you know them, hey, Dirt Talk, great podcast. Maybe people outside the industry, we're trying to make it kind of appealing for other people. At least give other people an appreciation for the industry and what we do every single day to keep the world moving. So continue to share it and we will see you on the next episode of Dirt Talk. Thanks for tuning in and stay dirty. Boom.